This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. The boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. Joining me as usual, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you? Good, Wally. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. Uh, Also joining us this morning... Former Washington Capitol, uh, Toronto Maple Leaf, and uh, perhaps uh, more importantly for this week's, uh, this this Sunday's discussion, Buffalo Sabre. Lou Franceschetti, good morning. Lou, how are you? Uh, really well. Wally, how are you doing? We're doing good, thanks. Uh, let our listeners... Morning, Naz. <laughs> morning, Louis. Uh, guys, uh, just let our listeners know where we're going today. We have Mike Keenan coming on, a former NHL coach. Uh, Canada Cup coach, 1987. We may be, uh, uh, we'll be chatting about that for uh, uh, reasons we're going to come to shortly. And also later on in the hour, uh, former Toronto Argo, former Washington Redskin, and former Fighting Irish uh, alumni, Joe Theismann. Um Get into it, guys. Uh, this week, um, I would say one of the giant. We lost one of the giants of the game, uh, Dale Howardchuck. Way, way, way too young. Dale had suffered from uh, uh, cancer for a while, um, courageously um, uh, fought it. Um, we lost him this week, and it made me pause and think. Uh, he was he was an incredible hockey player, uh, one of the greats of his generation. We certain, certainly should pay some moments to talk about him, his career, um, respect. For him and his career, uh, born in Toronto, uh, some time, uh, Lou, you brought this to my attention earlier this morning, some time in Oshawa Junior B, then uh, got on the radar screen in Cornwall, won a Memorial Cup in 1981, had a fabulous career with the Winnipeg Jets. Um, I guess fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know how you look at it, uh, had to play at the same time as Mario Lemieux and... And Wayne Gretzky, to a certain extent, got, I wouldn't say overshadowed, but uh, um, he truly was uh, one of the greats of his generation. Uh, Nat, I'll turn it over to you first, and then, Lou, I'll I'll, I'll let you take it, because you've got some personal comments. You've spent some time with Dale Howarchuk and played with him. So, Naz, first your reflections on the... uh, on the career and life of Dale Howardchuck. He was a great player and a great person from what I understand. I didn't know him. I never met him, but I understand he was a great person too, Wally. And it's hard to take, but especially at an age of 57 years old. Very and, young uh, to be young. Yeah, your reflections, your recollections of, uh, you know, he got sort of lost out in, you know, in the major Toronto market, got lost out in Winnipeg, always had the butt heads against Edmonton and Calgary in the playoffs. Um, your, your recollections of, uh, of a brilliant, brilliant playing career. 
Are you talking you to me, always, Wally? Uh, Naz, go ahead. Sorry. Oh. Yeah, you used to always kill the least. That's what he was a great player. Uh, yeah, certainly did. Uh, Lou, uh, your your comments might be personal. Um, you're, you're, uh, first of all, your contemporary of Dale Howardchuck more or less uh, came out, more or less within a few years, came out a junior at the same time. Um, you were obviously... While Dale was in Winnipeg, you were mostly in Washington, so you didn't butt heads that many times during the year. But your paths did cross, not that far from Toronto. Uh, tell us about uh, um, tell us about your uh, your recollections of uh, Dale Howardchuck as a player and as a teammate. Well, it was it was more or less uh, again. It's like everybody um, when a player back then because the uh, so-called media wasn't as big as it is right now. Nobody really knew that much about Dale Howarchuk. It was always uh, uh, Wayne, uh, Mark Messier, uh, and more or less a little bit more on our side. It was uh, Mary Lemieux. But I'll tell you, I would put him in the top four or five centermen uh, of that of my generation or of my era. He, he was that good. And if he had played anywhere in the East, you probably would have heard a much uh, a lot more about him than, than anybody did in Winnipeg. Uh, he was stuck in more or less uh, in a very very small market. Uh, it's unfortunate uh, that he had to go up against uh, and the nemesis. The nemesis there was pretty pretty much the Edmonton Oilers because they could get by. Uh, they battled tooth and nail with uh, Calgary, but they could never get by uh, the Edmonton Oilers. I think they were in the same situation as I was with the Islanders. They were up uh, three game the three games of one a couple of years, and Edmonton Edmonton came back and, and beat him in seven. But I got the uh, I had the honor and privilege of, of playing actually on the same line, and I was shocked when I got traded back in uh, 1990. Uh, when I got traded to Buffalo, uh, Rick Dudley comes in and says, uh, "Louis, you're going to play on a line with Ricky Vive and Dale Howardchuk. Oh boy, you know, what am I saying? Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty good there line. There was a respect. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, 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 was, that was quite an honor for me. And all he says, more or less, Rick just told me, just go do all your all the dirty work like like you always have. And I said, fine, I'll, I'm going to do the best I can. Unfortunately, I couldn't keep up with those two. Uh, I only lasted about 10 or 15 games. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, skill wise, uh, Talent-wise, compete level was was really over the roof, and, and more or less, he him as a person never said a bad word about anybody. Uh, always came to work with a smile on his face, competed hard, worked on things after practice. Uh, it, it was just uh, it was, and you don't see that from too many superstars at that level sometimes, because they're usually their ego gets in their way. Uh, and you can see a sense of that. Uh, but with Dale, it was all genuine. He, he was just an unbelievable person. And he, even after his post-hockey career, we've run into each other and always comes up and gives me a, uh, shakes my hand and gives me a big hug, uh, and asks me how I'm doing. Uh, but it, it was a crying shame this past week when we lost him at such a young age. Um, universally respected from what what I've read, um, obviously a fantastic hockey player. Um, 
one of the greats of his generation. There's no question. Uh, 1,400 points. Uh, surefire. He was a Hall of Famer immediately uh, when his name came up. Um, Memorial Cup champion. Canada Cup winner twice. Um, set records wherever wherever he went. Uh, beloved in Winnipeg. Uh, beloved apparently everywhere he went. Um, contributed so much of his time to charitable causes. Great family. Uh, read, uh, listened to uh, his two sons um, on the uh, talking about their dad on the air this week. Obviously. Obviously a tremendous family man as well. Um, certainly a, a, an example, a, ma- a role model, no question. Uh, and just be, and we'll talk to Mike Keenan who had uh, the opportunity to coach Dale on, on several occasions, the 87 Canada Cup, the 91 Canada Cup. And uh, earlier on in, uh, in uh, Dale's life as well. Um, just to, uh, just before we go to break, Lou, a um, little bit more. You touched upon it. Um, the teammate that uh, Dale was, uh, was he a quiet leader? Was he a vocal guy in the dressing room? Uh, was he inspirational to his teammates? Tell us a little bit more about uh, uh, Dale Howard, the part of him that uh, not necessarily his skills on the ice, but his skills off the ice. Well, pretty much, he, he was a very quiet leader, but you knew when he was upset with with people not giving the proper effort that they had they had to uh, to compete, and, and he was always at the at the front of the class. He he more or less, uh, and, and when he came to Buffalo, he was playing second fiddle to uh, to Pierre Turgeon too. And then uh, after I left, uh, they traded Pierre, and they got Patty Lafontaine there. So you know what that that was quite a twosome right there. But at the end of the day, it was more or less, I don't think anybody could ever say a bad thing or a bad word about Dale Howardchuk. Uh, he, he was a, he was inspiring the dressing room. He knew uh, when, when to say something. He didn't always have to more or less come in the dressing room and, and, and scream. Or, uh, but his leadership was more or less, he was showing on the ice just by the, the way he competed. And I just want to bring back a point that you said to, uh, about the Team Canada things. Uh, here's a player of, of Dale's, ha- Dale's uh, stature. He adapted to the role that Mike Keenan put him in. He knew that they didn't need his goal scoring because he had all the big guns in front of him, like Mario Wayne, Messier, and guys of that nature. And there were two players on that team, Mike Gardner and a Dale Howardchuk, who adapted to the checking role, and they went out and did all the dirty work for the superstars because they knew that they were they had to work as a team. They didn't need his goal-scoring ability, but they needed his checking and, and his competitiveness to uh, to get over uh, to beat the Russians and, and the Swedes then. Uh, on that note, uh, I'm going to take us to break. Uh, we're uh, trying to connect with Mike Keenan uh, during our break. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best. Uh, we'll try to have him on immediately uh, when we come back. Uh, take us to break, Brandon. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville introduced contact-free delivery. Order and prepay online and choose contact-free delivery. The driver will place your order on your doorstep in a nice, clear, protective bag. Then he'll politely stand back two metres and call the number on the receipt. Once you answer the door, 
He'll give you a little toodaloo and off he goes. Contact free delivery from pizzaville.ca or the Pizzaville app. Are you real ready? If you're a real estate agent, we can help you sell more homes. A business owner? We'll help show it off to the community at large. And if you're a homeowner, we'll supply accurate floor plans for every room in your home. Because selling property is all in the details. Real Tours Media. Creators of 3D virtual tours, walkthrough video, HDR photography, logos and brands. Check out the one-stop shop for successful real estate agents. Realtoursmedia.ca There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. You name it, they'll argue about it. No sport left unturned. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live on the new AM740 in Toronto on 96.7 FM and on the internet, www.zoomaradio.ca. We're privileged and uh, thrilled to welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, Mike Keenan. Good morning, Mike. How are you this morning? I'm doing super, guys. How about yourselves? We're doing great. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. We had you on last fall, and uh, um, we appreciate uh, you taking the time for us this morning. We just had a brief chat uh, about uh, what we call one of the giants of the game from his generation. And uh, also on with us this morning is uh, Lou Franceschetti, uh, Washington Capitol, uh, during that time period. Uh, Mike, you got your career and Dale Howarchuk's career intersected at various points uh, early on and, uh, and later on as well. Uh, but I'd like to, uh, if you're, if you're uh, willing to do so, uh, share with our listeners uh, you got one last opportunity to uh, correspond with uh, with Dale in a text that was publicly reported. If you wish to share with our listeners uh, your last words to, uh, to to Dale in your text. Well, actually, I I, uh, I knew it was very sick, but I said you've got one more face off to win, and uh, of course uh, that was an arduous task, or even bold of me to to suggest it to him, but his son reached out after and said that uh, he really appreciated it. So, yeah, we uh, we hooked up uh, when I was coaching Oshawa Junior B. Uh, Dale was 14. Uh, he was our best player, our youngest player, our most competitive player. And uh, then he went on to, to uh, as everyone knows, uh, play junior in Cornwall, and we, we ended up 
crossing paths again because I'm coaching Peterborough Pete's for the Memorial Cup and they beat us in overtime and then 87 he joins our team uh, as a superstar amongst superstars and accepts any role he says Mike I'll I'll play anything you want me to play or, or do anything you want me to do I just want to be on the team I said Dale uh, you got an exceptional skill set and uh, you're on this team so he, he was a really humble guy, really uh, respectful, coachable, and uh, and competitive. Uh, but he was willing, as a superstar coming out of Winnipeg, take a lesser role, if you like, in terms of minutes played, but they were important minutes, and he made a big impact on that team. That unselfish attitude really resonated throughout the team, and he was a great example of one of the players that could understand what it took to make a team and, and what you needed each player to do, and what roles they had to play to be successful. Uh, Mike, I'm going to uh, go around the circle here. I'm sure Brandon explained to you that uh, we're all doing this remotely, so uh, try not to talk over each other. I'm going to turn it over to my co-host, Naz, and then after that, uh, it's, uh, I'll turn it over to Lou. So go ahead, Naz. Mike, how was he off the ice? How was Dale off the ice? He was really a quiet guy, but he had a great sense of humor, uh, a different sense of humor. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I also had coached in, uh, when I was a manager and coach in St. Louis, I traded for him, brought him there. And he added a lot of levity to the situation. He knew me and how intense I was. And, uh, I'm sure that, uh, he made, he made it, uh, uh, noted that, uh, when I was, uh, up in the ante a little bit, he, he'd be able to diffuse it pretty well. He had a great sense of humor and, uh, as I said, a humble, humble way about him, but he's a superstar and people respect him in the locker room. Lou? Uh, Mike, I know you coached him, uh, in, in Oshawa as a junior B player. Um, what did you see in him back then that you found, uh, that he could probably be a special player wherever he played? At, at such a young age. Well, we, uh, Lou, great to talk, talk to you. And where our history goes back way back to fellows, back to the American League as well. But uh, um, Dale, we won the, the Metro Junior B Championship, and then we played Streetsville, and we had a, a young junior team, young in terms of uh, age groups, and Dale was the youngest, but. Uh, Streetsville had a, a group of uh, mature y- uh, young men in, in later ages, more like 20 and 21-year-olds at the time. You could be that age to play junior. And they were extremely physical. And, of course, they went after our best player often. We had guys that would uh, come to his aid for sure. But he could look after himself, and he could rise above it. And the more uh, physical they got with the more the more intense they, they played against him, the better his play became. And you could see that he could he could uh, really negotiate or, or navigate his way around in any situation. And at that point, he was proven to be a leader on our team, not just a great young player. So you could see the potential in him. And, of course, uh, uh, he didn't disappoint anybody in terms of reaching that level of play. But he was... It was an intrinsic value. He loved to compete, and he loved to win, and that's what drove him. Uh, we're talking to Mike Keenan. Mike, uh, Dale Howard, Chuck, uh, 
featured prominently uh, on on two two Canada Cup teams, the uh, the eighty seven one, which uh, strikes uh, is uh, for various reasons more memorable in 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 popular culture in Canada for just the, because of what happened in the last three games, and it was against Russia uh, or the Soviet Union, I guess more accurately uh, in those days. Uh, there's, you know, Dale Howard Chuck found his place on the ice, uh, right at the end of that game and found his place into the, one of the most iconic photos in Canadian hockey history. Uh, one of the most important face-offs in Canadian hockey history, we're in, we're in our own zone. If you're on, if you're watching on TV, it's on the left side of your screen and somehow the puck found its way from, uh, from the corner uh, to the left of the goalie in, in our zone, Dale was on the ice with Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky, Larry Murphy, and to be quite frank, I can't remember who the who the fifth Paul, would have Paul, been. Paul Coffey. Paul Coffey. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, and and how did Dale Howarchuk uh, find his way on the ice to take? one of the most important face-offs in Canadian hockey history. Obviously, there's no question for you to have put him out there would have been tremendous confidence. But why him taking the face-off? Why not Gretz? Why not Lemieux? Uh, well, there's a great story because, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone expected me to put either Matt Sutter or, or Brent Sutter, who are great face-off guys. And, and uh at that time, the Soviet Union, Tikhonov had his fourth unit out. And I was judging the time, how much time was left in the game. And I thought to myself instantly, if, if he comes out, which he would have next, the next shift would have been Larry Onoff, I wanted Mess to be up against him. And I had great confidence in Dale, as you, as you noted, uh, historically, but also during that game, he was, doing a great job on face-off work. So to the how the story goes, so I called up Gretz, uh, Mario, and, uh, and Howie. And so they go over the boards, and Gretz says, I'm not taking the face-off. And, <laughs> and Mario says, I'm not taking the face-off. And Howie says, uh, I guess I'm taking the face-off. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> that's how that excuse me, unfolded. And then, of course, the rest of history as they go on to score one of the most uh, – as you described, iconic goals in the history of hockey, not just Canada, but certainly Canada and, and our, our legacy of, of uh, the best hockey culture and country in the world. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of, they, they reminisced about that over the years. In fact, Gretz called him uh, recently as well, a couple of days before he passed, and, and they had a, a little bit of a, uh, a good time talking about that. Their their decision making about who's going to make the take the face off. So it worked out really well for for our team, and certainly uh, I had the confidence in them to to go out there and take that face off. Uh, before I turn it back to Naz and, and to Lou, uh, I've got to, I've got to ask you this question, Mike. Um, um, I'm, I'm just sure you know fascinated or curious about, but I don't know what your view. I I, I don't know where that your bench. Uh, was in in connection with the faceoff, or how the puck moved the ice, moved up the ice, and what kind of a view you had to the goings on. But you know, so many years later, um, I just like I just like your thoughts about what went through your mind as that 
puck was moving up the ice, chipped off the boards. Murphy was a decoy, and Gret. Your personal recollections of that six seconds in time, or however long it took, to move the puck from Dale Howard's stick, and it found the found the puck found the back of the net. What did you see, and what do you remember about that instant? Well, it's interesting because <clears throat> excuse me, I went into. Uh, I went on to become the general manager in Chicago as well, as you know, and a coach. And uh, I employed the first Russian player in Chicago ever. That was Igor Kravchuk. Well, Igor uh, was a youngster on the team. And, and as I said, Tikhanov was rotating one, two, three, four. That was just the Soviet way of, of bench management. And, uh, and uh, Igor Kravchuk, uh, made a poor decision and pinched too early. Uh, Mariel chipped the puck, and of course, uh, when Gretz picked it up and Murph roared down the ice, uh, Larry Murphy, uh, as a as a uh, as a possibility of passing Gretz, says, "There's no way, Murph, I'm ever going to give it to you. I'm going to get a big guy, <laughs> 66." So, yeah, it was a great uh, moment for our team and to come back and to win six, five, six, five, six, five. Um, as you said, historical iconic goal. That's, uh, you know, uh, really etched in the minds of those that watched it. And maybe the youngsters have seen replays now that uh, it was historical. And, and, uh, from the bench, I had a good view of it. So it was pretty special. I call it one of the holy trinity of Canadian goals. Henderson, Lemieux, and Sidney Crosby. Uh, go ahead, Ned. Mike, uh, Dale was coaching Barry for 10 years. and I, I always thought he'd be a good NHL coach. How would he have been in the NHL, do you think? I think he would have been great because he had that demeanor. Uh, and and uh, he had uh, the experience. He had many great coaches. Tom Watt coached him. He had great teammates. Serge Savard was one of his teammates when he was a youngster. Of course, John Ferguson had fire, and he saw that in John as a manager. And, and uh, amongst others that were his teammates, uh, Tima Solani and great players. But he he had the experience, he had, but he had the demeanor and uh, a great way of communicating and, and had the reputation, obviously, and respect of his, of his players. But he also had this competitive edge that, uh, you know, as quiet as he was, um, you could, that could resonate through a dressing room or on the bench and bench management. You could feel it from him. And, and that's why he would, be, would have been uh, a good coach at the National Hockey League level as, as well because the players uh, knew that he was knowledgeable about his, his coaching skills but also he had the fire in him, the intensity that could you could bring to a team. And I think, you know, in today's game and, and yesterday's game, I think that's the difference. Uh, John Tortorella just said it recently. He said, you know, we're all very capable of all the X and O's in, in the world and all the computers and and, uh, and all the different techniques that we can use today and um but he said it's the fire that that makes a difference, and and certainly I think Dale could have brought that to any team. Analytics, all that business, but uh, the difference makers. You got to find the difference maker somewhere. It's always been a competitive, passionate game, 
And I think that that emotional investment can make a difference. Lou? Um, you know, I, I, again, it, it is more or less, uh, I saw that uh, with, with Dale played out west in Winnipeg. Uh, nobody really heard of him and saw him that much uh, other than on TV. But when you're a line mate and you're in the dressing room for, for five months at a time, just watching him the way he prepared uh, to play the game, uh, very, very quiet leader. Uh, but you know, when I went out there, uh, it was 100, 110% every single night. And he didn't want to lose. You know, he was just, uh, he was just one of those guys, uh, that, that's, he just did not want to lose, especially for a skilled player of that nature. You'd think that sometimes there was a little bit of quit in him, but there was no quit in, uh, in Dale Hunter. He, he just wanted to compete at the highest level and he wanted to win everything possible. Uh, we've been talking to Mike Keenan. Um, Mike, really, really briefly before we let you go, um, um, the NHL is marching towards the Stanley Cup. Um, interesting game between Dallas and Colorado last night. And I know, I know it's probably difficult. We, we had Harry Neal on the show, uh, last Sunday. He says he, it's impossible to keep an eye on everything that's going on. But, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't take advantage of your insights and, and your knowledge and, uh, your, your reflections or your analysis of what's going on in the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, and, uh, your thoughts on, uh, playing games without fans and, uh, if you were to pick a couple of winners uh, coming out of out of both sides, to let us know. So, first of all, uh, any uh, any comments on what's going on and who you see might be coming out of this as a Stanley Cup champion? Well, the first thing I, I would comment on is that uh, I'm really impressed with the NHL's presentation of the games with no fans. When I first saw the the very first game when it came on, I was. Uh, really impressed because they've captured as well as they could the overall presentation of the game. And the players themselves I'm impressed with because they feed off the emotion of fans and, and they're emotional and passionate players. And it's reflective of where they came from and how they grew up and where they played. And, you know, they played on ponds and ice rinks and, places where there were no fans. They played for the love of the game and they were mostly involved and competitive on ponds or minor hockey where there, you know, maybe just the parents would show up or maybe nobody would be in the building. So uh, they've, they've really reached back to the, to the beginnings of, of their careers and their game. And that's been very impressive. And I've been very impressed again, as you saw that, I mean, they're competing, they're hitting, they're hurting people in terms of uh, engaging and being physical and, and, and uh, uh, you know, moving, moving the game at great speed and great goaltending. So from, from the overall perspective of what I've witnessed so far, I'm impressed with, with the game itself and the, and the players, all of the players. Yes, there's teams that are better than others or, or more prepared it's also a very, very interesting phenomena to watch people that have been uh, put in, as we describe it, a bubble, and uh, they're living and breathing with each other, and that's probably the only uh, engagement they have with human beings is their, is their teammates. So I'm sure they're, they're bonding pretty well. I know they've got a lot of 
uh, interesting things for them to do off ice, but they're not going too far. So they're living and breathing, and they're competitive. So um, I'm I'm impressed. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if Vancouver could step up as a Canadian team. Uh, Dallas is impressive as well. So it's really hard to separate them right now. I think. As always, the injury factor will be part of it. Philadelphia's had a great run in the East so far, uh, but it's a long way to go. We're only in the in the second round, yep. and people yep. have to understand. In Philadelphia, for example, in '87, we played 26 games in 52 nights. <laughs> wow! And we traveled. We traveled across the country, and they have obviously going to Edmonton for the final. So. It's it's a mental strain, it's a physical strain, and right now it's got to be an emotional strain because they can't see their families. There's no reprieve. Uh, you know, at least we got out to move around a bit, but uh, so they they've got a lot of a uh, lot of things to deal with, and it's the team that's going to be uh, healthy uh, in every respect that comes out. I think as the champion because. Uh, it's a very unusual environment, but uh, one that I'm really impressed with is the way the players have handled it. We've been talking to Mike Keenan. Uh, Mike, we've got to run. I, I just want to say thank you for uh, your kind thoughts on, on, a, on a great man, Dale Howardchuck. Thank you for taking us a little bit down memory lane, the, some of the Canada Cups, but more importantly, sharing your your kind remembrances of, uh, of a great man, Dale Howardchuck, and on that note, Mike, we had you on the show last fall. Uh, we hope your health is good, uh, and we hope you. Uh, uh, we hope we wish you all the best. Thanks so much for joining Thanks us. So much. Yeah, I'm very, very healthy. So, fortunately, well, uh, I've stayed really active all my life, so it's paid off. So, so we, we know you've had your challenges, and we're thrilled to hear that you're doing well, Mike. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Okay, guys, enjoy the day. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. Take Kenan. care. Uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, Brandon, take us to break, and we'll be right back with Joe Theismann. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville introduced contact-free delivery. Order and prepay online and choose contact-free delivery. The driver will place your order on your doorstep in a nice, clear, protective bag. Then he'll politely stand back two metres and call the number on the receipt. Once you answer the door, he'll give you a little toodaloo and off he goes. Contact free delivery from pizzaville.ca or the Pizzaville app. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. Are you real ready? If you're a real estate agent, we can help you sell more homes. A business owner? We'll help show it off to the community at large. And if you're a homeowner, we'll supply accurate floor plans for every room in your home. Because selling property is all in the details. 
Real Tours Media. Creators of 3D virtual tours, walkthrough video, HDR photography, logos and brands. Check out the one-stop shop for successful real estate agents. Realtoursmedia.ca There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. The only thing I love more than sports is sports radio. Take it away, boys. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. And usually with me, my co-host, Naz Marchese, also joining us this morning, former Washington Capitol and Toronto Maple Leafs, Lou Franceschetti. We're pleased to welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, former CFL star, Toronto Argonaut, and uh, fighting Irish and Washington Redskins, Joe Theismann. Joe, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning, Wally. Good morning, Lou. Hope you guys are well. Thanks, thanks so much. Joe, thank you so much uh, for joining us. It's, uh, I remember a few months back we called you. We wanted a voice of optimism. You've always been a pretty positive guy. A few months have gone by, and uh, your thoughts, how are you doing, and uh, how are you holding up in the, in the uh, with what's going on in the world? Well, Wall, thanks for asking. I mean, I'm like everybody else. You... Uh, you, you sort of, it's almost like Groundhog Day. Uh, you get up and you do certain things and you look for some diversity in your in your routine a little bit. But um, down here in Florida right now, so I'm managing to play a fair amount of golf. Uh, I hurt my shoulder four months ago, but uh, the rehab's gone well and I'm back hitting balls on the, and, and back playing a little bit. Of course, um, doing some virtual presentations and then... Uh, you know, letting people know about uh, the book that I just wrote in June called How to Be a Champion Every Day that's available on Amazon and at bookstores. So uh, it's it's staying busy. The family's good. I hope everybody listening out there uh, are doing well in these crazy, crazy times. Hopefully we're getting closer to a, a vaccine or some way that we can get out and resume what life will wind up being a new normal. Uh, Joe, before I turn it over to Naz and Lou, uh, you've uh, we've had you on the air quite a bit, and we thank you for all the time uh, you've shared with us. Our listeners, I know, in the Toronto area, always love to hear the voice of Joe Theismann. We always have a special connection to you and those great Toronto Argonaut teams of the early 1970s. Um, uh, big, you've been a big supporter of the CFL. Uh, um, your thoughts when you heard that the CFL's not playing this year? I, you know, I, I think any time any league decides that they're not going to go forward, they're doing it for safety reasons, and you can't find fault with it. I think the, the CFL has made a decision that they think is in the best interest of the fans, the best interest of the players, and, you know, you hate to see not to see football. You hate to see it not happen, uh, but it's a decision that's made far above players' ranks, I guess you could say, and you know, you just have to support it and look forward to next year. It gives everybody a chance to sort of take a breath and figure out what they want to be and be able to, you know, maybe add some players to it. Ness? So, uh, do you think the NFL will start on time? 
I do, Naz. As a matter of fact, it's really crazy. Uh, no one's really talked about it. You don't hear a lot of buzz about it. But we're about a little less than three weeks away from starting the NFL season. The game, first game's on the 10th, I believe it's the Chiefs and the Texans. And then the Sunday kicks off on the, uh, on the 13th with, uh, with all the games. So I believe we will get started. Um, see, football's had a little bit of an advantage when it comes to the pandemic and the way I think um, everybody's handled it. With NBA in the bubble, NHL, and Major League Baseball all playing right now, the NFL, I believe, has had the benefit to be able to see what they have done to, from a safety standpoint, from a uh, protecting the player as well as the organization standpoint. So... You know, they've had, they've had the chance to learn a lot, and I think it's going to help them going forward. I really do. And, yeah, I believe we're going to see a football season. Goodness only knows we need it. I mean, we need, we need a diversion in, this, in, our, in our country and in North America and around the world, to be honest with you, um, other than some of the things that we've seen happening. Luke? So I know you're in Florida, um, and I'm not sure if you've seen any camps. Uh, how's, uh, how's Tua doing in Miami, and how's Tom Brady adjusted to uh, – the Tampa Heat at this time of year. Well, you know Tom's Tom has uh, you know, Tom's been in this game for 150 years. <laughs> at least it feels like it. You know, <laughs> he's, he's been around forever. You know, we're gonna, 20 years from now, we're going to be going. Well, you know that Tom Brady he still can throw it. I mean, I'm just amazed at 75 how well he moves around. I mean, that's it's, it's incredible <laughs> uh, what he is. And you know, Tom has the benefit of being a veteran. He has the benefit of his programs to get himself ready. Um, in Tua's case, it's a whole new system for him. And, and these are the guys, Joe Burrow, Tua, uh, Cam Newton up in New England, players that have changed teams and players that are, are rookies, true rookies, have really, are really at a disadvantage this year because the most you could get were Zoom meetings with your coaches. So you don't have on-field installations. You don't have OTAs. You don't have many camps. And now all of a sudden you have basically, uh, last Tuesday they started with pads. So you've got but four, uh, 17, 20 days to get ready for a season. The way I'm looking at the NFL season is the first three games to me will be like preseason games. And it'll sort of answer your question, how, what kind of shape are they in? How are they doing? I don't expect Tua to start in Miami. I expect Ryan Fitzpatrick to start down there. Uh, there's no hurry. I mean, you drafted him to be your quarterback. Fitz has been there a while. He knows the system. And therefore, to me, you, you know, that's what you go with. Plus, you had two of your, your starters, wide receivers, opt out. And to put two out on the field in that environment, I don't think is fair to him. And so I, think, I don't think he's going to start, which is a good move. Tom Brady, on the other hand, I think the signing of Gronk in Tampa is huge. They have a connection. They have things that they run. They have things that they do. Uh, you take a look at different teams around the league. What ten New England Patriots opted out? You have to look, and, and, they're, and these are these are totals in most cases. So um, I think the teams that have the veteran nucleus are the ones that will have the biggest advantage early on. Probably with probably the first six games, I'd say they have an advantage. Uh, we're talking to Joe Seisman. Joe, uh, the, the other side of the Tom Brady coin, and it, you know, and, it, and you make the point. You know, it's it's nice to actually start talking about real uh, real re- real sports decisions and sports being on the field it's uh, it's it's kind of cool to be able to do that the other side of the Tom Brady coin is Cam Newton in New England 
Your thoughts on the fit. How does Cam Newton fit in that uh, with Belichick and uh, that franchise? What, uh, what do you anticipate there? I, I, think it was a, I think it was a great choice by Cam. I think it was really, really important to go someplace where he's, you know, in a really stable organization with people around him. He's got Julian Edelman. Uh, there's some, you're going to be some new pieces, but you know, you're you're being tutored in in an organization that is Bill Belichick's. And you look at Bill's history, how many championships he's won, the organization, the way it is. Uh, and I think it's a great fit for Cam to to sort of restart his career. The last couple of years, he's been hurt, and now this is an opportunity to compete. Like I said, again, it's a it's a short window, but that means that every throw, every decision you make has more significance than it would in any other year. But I think it's a good fit for Cam. Uh, Naz? Do you think the Washington NFL Club is going to improve this year? I think so, Naz. Um, you know, obviously, everything runs through the quarterback. Um, Alex Smith, what a great story that is, is back on the field. Dwayne Haskins is going to start his second year. Uh, so, you know, who's going to wind up being the starter? You just don't know. It's a very young football team. I think the average age is 25 and a half of this football team. You've got five former number one picks uh, in the defensive line, which I look at the Washington football team this year being somewhat like San Francisco was a year ago. I think they're going to be led by their front four, front five. Uh, they're the ones that will make the biggest impact going forward as we start the season. If they do what they are expected to do, then the offense, which has a lot of moving parts, a lot of newness to it, will get a chance to catch up and go forward. But I, I think it's a, it's a football team that could surprise a lot of people. Lou? Uh, Joe, what's your opinion on, uh, on the college football season this year with uh, a lot of the, I think there's a count up to five, First future first round picks that are willing to sit out uh, uh, the season, uh, maybe play in the spring if there is a spring season on certain uh, conferences. And how would uh, how would teams look at these players uh, at draft time? Well, I, I think you have to base it off of uh, what you've seen in the past year. I mean, a lot of the a lot of decisions will be made on uh, you know guys from. 2019. I mean, we got the same situation in the NFL. I mean, what do you what? Do you, you have no preseason games to evaluate people. All you can do is watch them in practice and look at the film and the tape they put down before. I think for college kids, it's the same thing. And see, I don't have a problem with college kids transferring in their last year to, if a conference is going to play, like the ACC or the SEC, which they're planning to do right now. I don't see a problem with somebody wanting to transfer so that they can play football. And I, and I keep hearing spring ball. So if you're going to have football in the spring and then in the fall, you're basically asking players to play 20-plus football games in one year. And they're college students. So I, I just don't understand how that's going to work when they talk about spring ball. Well, are you going to forego fall football? Or are you going to still have fall football? I, and I don't think anybody's asked that question. And the amount of games, how many games are they going to play in the spring? Six, eight, 12? So I think there's a, there's a lot of questions out there regarding college football. Um, again, I think it would be great to be able to see it on TV. It would be great to see live college football. 
But again, you have to take into consideration the safety um, and the protocol that you have to go through to make sure that everybody's able to get out and play. Uh, Joe, uh, one, uh, one other question here, Joe. Is, uh, is Notre Dame permanently in the ACC right now, or is this just for one year? I believe it's a one-year thing. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just for this one year. And, of course, the other thing that Notre Dame did is they took you know, 50% of what they were going to get, I believe, from television and basically gave it to the ACC. Um, you know, they, I mean, it was, you know, Jack Swarbuck, who's our athletic director, I think made a great decision to be able to do that, uh, to go into the ACC for one year. We played six games in the ACC anyway. Uh, I think football was the only one that was not part of the ACC. So I believe it's just a one-year thing, though. Joe, again, you know, your impressions, because there seems to be a variance of opinion uh, down in the states of whether college football or college athletics should go forward. Uh, in fact, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are, are canceled for the fall, and some of the Big Ten parents are protesting. As you said, the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 are going ahead. Notre Dame had to suspend practices this week. The, uh, the positivity rate amongst Notre Dame students testing is like 17% test positive for COVID-19 or players, not that much. The Notre Dame president, actually Reverend John Jenkins, is going on CBS Face the Nation in a little bit. Joe, your personal opinion, should, and then I get the part that it, you know, it, it sort of relieves, it, 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 you know, sports is good for people's outlook. Should college football be going ahead this fall? Your, your personal opinion. I, you know, really, why I, I, you know, my personal opinion is you do what's right for the for the most people. I mean, I, I you know, college kids they get together on campus, they go to a party, and all of a sudden, a lot of them test positive. But you really want to focus on the on the teams. You focus on the the teams that are going to play. What is the rate among those individuals? Are they doing the right thing? I mean, look look what the NBA has done. You've had one or two guys step across the line. But for the most part, everybody understands what they need to do. And I believe at the University of Notre Dame, uh, they're, they're doing that. Uh, they, they're, and, and other universities, you've seen early on, we saw what Texas had happened and Clemson's had happened. We haven't, we haven't heard reports of these kind of incidences and these numbers in a long time. I think people are being more smart. The kids understand it. They want to play ball, so they're... You know, you're not going to go run off to a party and try and affect everybody else or infect everybody else. So I, I just think you have to make the right decision based upon what's happening inside your program. And that's something that, you know, only, uh, you know, Father Jenkins and, and Jack and, and Brian know exactly what's going on at Notre Dame. Uh, we've been talking to Joe. Joe, uh, uh, time's our enemy. We've got to go. Um just really, really quickly, you've had a book out, How to Be a Champion Every Day. Uh, you've been a positive uh, speaker for so many years. You, you, we, we always love having you on this show. Uh, in, uh, in 30 seconds or less, uh, our listeners, they want to pick up the book, How to Be a Champion Every Day. What's the message, Joe? The message is, is that the world of sports, the world of business, and our own personal lives all parallel one another. I think it's important to have goals. You need the right kind of attitude. We all need to learn how to work together to for the good of the of the greater good of, of the uh, of the organization. 
And I don't know what flips your switch and gets you going, but everybody has something that motivates them. And those are, I tell stories about football. I tell, you know, I've had contributors like uh, General Colin Powell uh, talks about leadership. And so it's something that was a labor of love for a lot of years. I'm, I'm glad it's out. I'm excited about it. Uh, and people seem to really like it. So if you get a chance, uh, pick it up. I, I think you'll enjoy it. It's 162 pages. Uh, and it's, um, it's something, like I said, I, I really enjoy doing, and I'm glad people are enjoying reading it. Uh, certainly, uh, any, anything that you're connected with, Joe, you've always been a positive, uh, positive influence, and we always enjoy speaking with you. I always, you know, after, uh, I always bring a smile, smile to my face talking with, uh, with Joe Theismann. Joe, uh, once again, thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for your insights. We really appreciate it. Uh, Thanks, guys. Well, you guys all stay safe, and everybody listening out there, uh, adhere to the protocol because the future will be bright. Thanks so much, Joe. Joe Theismann. Uh, Naz, Lou, we got about three minutes left. Naz, uh, bring us up to speed with the Jays. They had a little run uh, uh, up until last night. Uh, Jays look yeah. like they, uh, they got something brewing uh, down in Buffalo. What's going on, Naz? Good. Very good bullpen this year. And starting pitching has been pretty good. They're a young team. I think uh, some, of their, some of their some of the young guys seem to have uh, matured fairly quickly. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Bo Bichette was uh, was on fire. Is a little uh, on the DL now, if I'm not mistaken. Correct me if I'm wrong, Naz. But tell us yeah, a little bit about the young talent that uh, seems to be coming together. He's batting. He was batting 361 when he got hurt. Very good player. Lou, you're big New York Yankees fan. Relief pitching is the best in the league. No. Relief pitching. How's the uh, how's the new starter uh, uh, looking? I can't. Uh, I, 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 can only, I can only spell his name. It's R Y U. How's he doing? Ready Three pretty mediocre starts, but he has hit you well in the last four outings. Uh, any chance the Jays going to make the playoffs? I think they have an outside chance. Fantastic. So we'll certainly uh, we'll, we'll we'll bring the Jays more into our discussions and and uh, the next few weeks. Uh, Lou, you're a big baseball guy. Uh, New York Yankees, what's going down? What's going on down at uh, Yankee Stadium? Well, they're keeping the hospitals busy with all the guys on our on the injured reserve list. Uh, it just seems it looks like another year like last year. Uh, Paxton just had an MRI. Uh, Lemayu had another MRI on his uh, sprained thumb. Looks like Judge is coming back. Uh, Stanton's on the uh, AR with a. Uh, IR with a strained, uh, I think, quad muscle. So uh, I think they're more or less they're, they're trying to play out the, the season and see where they end up. I don't like the idea of eight teams making the playoffs, but at the end of the day, uh, it gives everybody a better chance to uh, to win this thing. So uh, the big key for them right now is keep their starters healthy and uh, and see if they can uh, win the division. Yeah, well, certainly. Uh, go ahead, Ness. Well, there's two teams in the league in the in baseball right now that are they've been tanking for the last few years, and now they have some great young talent. Watch out for San Diego and Chicago White Sox; they're going to be really good. Certainly will. We got about uh, 15 seconds left. Uh, congratulations, Nick Nurse, Coach of the Year. 90 percent, uh, fantastic job Nurse is doing with the with the with the Raptors. Raptors are on a roll against the Nets. Look like they're through to the next series. Um, Coach of the Year. Congratulations. For all you soccer fans, there's a fantastic game shaping up this afternoon, Champions League final. 
uh, Bayern against uh, PSG Paris Saint-Germain. And uh, some of the great, great soccer players in the world are going to be that game. in that game. And one of them is a Canadian, Alfonso Davies. He's doing remarkably well as a 19-year-old with Bayern. He is the future of Canadian soccer. You get a chance, you're a soccer fan, tuned in. I'm out of time. Naz, 10 seconds, last word. The heaviest team in the NHL, New York Islanders, 208 pounds. That says it all. Lou, thanks for joining us. To all our listeners, have a fantastic and safe week. We'll be back again next Sunday morning. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.